Welcome to the Lindsay Hadley Podcast Show. I'm coming to you from the North Shore of Oahu, where weekly I interview some of the world's most inspiring people from business, philanthropy, and entertainment. I love collecting humans, and these are some of my favorites I've found along the way. This podcast is brought to us by Capita Financial Network. Do you need help with the next steps of your financial plan? Think Capita. Capita is a financial network built around you. They have a team of financial advisors, CPAs, estate attorneys, Medicare providers, and social security experts to help you accomplish your financial goals. Call or schedule a complimentary consultation at 801-566-5058 or visit their website at capitafinancialnetwork.com. You can also check out their financial education podcast, The Financial Call, available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and YouTube. Hi, Lloyd Roberts. Thanks for joining our show today. I'm so thrilled to have you on and I'm so excited to have our audience learn about you, your incredible story and all about, uh, we're going to talk a little about Hawaii today because I'm actually, I'm right now I'm sitting here on my bed in the north of Oahu where you uh, have some great roots that I'm excited for you to share. Um, But Lloyd, thanks for coming on. What a joy to have you. Hey, well, thank you so much for the honor. Super excited to, to spend this next hour with you. Oh, so thrilled. Um, so, so Lloyd, I, I just shared right before we got on um, that that I actually was able to read your book, listen, like actually on Audible, your book, which was so, thank you for putting it on Audible because that's like basically how <laughs> I get to um, have, you know, connections through uh, through listening and being able to multitask as a, as a mom, right? You're folding laundry. Yeah drive in a car and you get to to also consume amazing literature. So thank you uh, for writing such an incredible book. I'd love for you to maybe start with like an introduction, share a little about your, your life and your story. Um, and then um, I'd love to talk a little bit about your connections in Hawaii. This is so fun because it's rare <laughs> to meet people that know the North shore and that know, you know, specifically the part of the Island that I live in in Oahu. So that's so cool. But yeah, yeah. real to have you today. Lloyd. Thank you. That's great. Well, thank you so much. Super excited to get to know you as well. So yeah, my name is Lloyd Roberts. I, I primarily live in Utah. Um, our office is in Farmington and we live in just a little city right outside of Farmington. And uh, I'm married to a wonderful lady named Billy. Yep, Billy. So Billy Ann Roberts. And then we have two sets of twins. We have a set that's 17 years old and we have a set that is 13 years old. So great kids. Love them to death. It's, a, it's super fun to be a dad. One of my one of my greatest honors in this life. Um, but yeah, my my story is uh, much like your story and everybody else's story, right? Lots of ups and downs throughout the years. And overall, uh, the only reason that most people want to hear from me at the beginning is because me and my two brothers we we founded Lone Pro, and Lone Pro is the right now is just recognized as the third fastest growing company in the state of Utah and uh, second year on the 5,000 and things of that nature. And we were just recognized as a unicorn here in Utah. So pretty excited about that. Uh, we bootstrapped the business until just about 19, 20 months ago. We did our very first capital raise ever. Uh, and, and it was Utah's largest Series A capital raise in history. So it's it's been a fun ride and, and the business has grown very nicely since that capital raise just shy of two years ago. And then in that journey, we, we've had a lot of fun in, in some different categories. The book that, that uh, you mentioned, Lindsay, is it's actually not about business. It touches on yeah. business, but it's more on how to become truly fulfilled in this life. And so would love to talk about that some as well. Uh, Lindsay, sounds like we have some, some roots as well in, in Hawaii. Be happy to talk about that. And then... Recently, just last year, we formally got our 501c3 to, to start a public charity called Become More. And that's where I spent a, a decent amount of my time right now. But a third of my working hours are, are on the Become More charity. We asked our older brother, who was a professor at the University of Utah, if he would retire from that and work full-time in the charity. He speaks Khmer or the, or the Cambodian language. Uh, just got back from a two-week stint there. He did, and my other brother did just on Sunday. They took out a, a team of 12 of our Lone Pro employees and plus ones to Cambodia to go on these service trips that we're doing out there. We'd love to talk about the villages that we're adopting and how we're trying not to just be the, the Americans that go in and save the day and take our photo op and bounce, right? but rather we really want to make some sustainable difference out there. So we feel like our approach is a really unique approach and uh, 
Also, the, the charity from its roots is not one that is reliant on outside donations, right? Now, it's, of course, that's a good thing that can, that can help it grow more, but uh, Rhett, Ben, and I, my two brothers and I, we, we, take, we took a, a portion of the proceeds from Lone Pro and we rolled them into the public charity so that it, it's going to work if, if no one donates a dollar or if a lot of people donate lots of dollars, this, uh, this concept's going to work as well. And it's really the marriage of our two objectives. Objective one is to lift 100,000 Cambodians out of extreme poverty. I get it. It's a big number. You can picture everybody that was physically at the last Super Bowl. That's about the number of people that, that we aim to lift out of poverty. And we, we are doing that through two ways. One, we're doing that through improved education and through second, through improved opportunity. We can talk about the, the moving parts there. But that's not the only thing, right? There's a lot of charities that are helping people in third world countries to get out of poverty in one way or another. Maybe some do it better than others, maybe not. But the second objective that we have is to change the mindsets of those in our own world, right? Our neighbors, mm. our friends, our family, uh, our coworkers, and effectively increase their own levels of gratitude, growth, and giving, much in line with the, the principles of, of the book G Cubed. To, and we, the way that we're doing this is through full immersion service trips to Cambodia, where they can go and, and get out of their normal day-to-day -day element and, and go literally on the other side of the globe and get a different perspective while they're living and serving the people over there. That's incredible. Uh, Lloyd, I love this. I don't know if you're, you know this, if, if you had any context, but my background is in philanthropy. I spent 20 years in the nonprofit sector and the early part of my career was taking people on humanitarian trips like this around the world, Mexico, Thailand, Peru, Kenya, Cambodia was one of them. I actually never have been to Cambodia, interestingly enough, but I would coordinate a lot of the travel and, and dynamics there. But you know, it's it's really um, amazing because I learned so much. I'm sure you did, too. I love how you started just kind of jumping right in here on what you commented about jumping in in the photo op and the white savior complex and some of those dynamics. You know, I've definitely um, learned that from my experience, you know, sometimes our helping actually hurts. You know, one of the things I remember in my early career, we used to bring a lot of donations and duffel bags and we would bring honestly, just a bunch of junk. It was used clothes, used shoes, you know, sometimes expired medical stuff, um, which, you know, at various degrees of utility or whatever they might be, but we would bring it and then give it away. There was a particular area in um, the, the jungles of Peru and we'd bring 30 to 40 people at a time. And so this was, you know, the Amazon and I, I literally we were just bringing junk to the jungle. What happened was we would distribute it. And as a consequence, I, I figured this, I was in my I was, I was probably 18, 19 years old in college, you know, like an intern for this NGO that was based out of Utah. And I remember speaking to the, the executive director and saying like, look, I don't think this is like the, the best use of like our, I don't know how impactful this is. I think, you know, and I actually did some research and found out that we'd actually put out some local business, some commerce, uh, people that were manufacturers and making textiles locally. So we actually hurt the people we were trying to help. And, yeah. um, you know, those kinds of things really like haunted me. There's a case study that we did in college where there's a gentleman who went to the Maasai tribe in um, East Africa and they they live in dung huts, like mud and dung huts. And he there was a lot of smoke inhalation and women were fall falling in the smoke fires and getting burnt and children were having a lot of uh, chronic illnesses around, you know, the carbon monoxide that they were breathing. And um, basically yeah. at some deaths, it was really horrific. Some passing out in the fire, getting third degree birds. And, uh, mm -hmm. so he being, you know, this helpful Westerner and this amazingly, you know, earnest human being put in, um, makeshift, uh, chimneys inside of all of their homes and solved the smoke problem. Yay. Left and two years later came back and had wiped out the entire village. Um, uh, what had happened oh. is the only thing that was keeping flies from eating their dung huts, was actually the smoke. So the, oh, wow. you know this this inherent assumption that we sometimes come with of like how we can sometimes cause you know problems and so anyway I'd love to hear your thoughts on that but, but and and know more about uh, your work with uh, you said it's the charity's called to becoming more is that what it was yeah it's called become more you can go to become more charity or become more charity dot org but yeah you're you're right there's 
there's a way to help that effectively is the easy way, right? And those are the things that we call the photo ops. Yes. And they don't really do much for the giver and they don't really do much for the recipient. And as as you mentioned, sometimes they can be more harmful than helpful. Yeah. And so we've chosen to run become more like we run Loan Pro, mm-hmm. right? Like, like a, a business. Prudent with everything. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not about, you know, hey, just do something good, but is this the best that we can do with this dollar? And honestly, that's that's one of the questions that we had a couple of years ago is, what is the value of a human life? Yeah, yeah. And is the value of a human life different based on where they live, yeah. right? Therefore, how much impact can I have with the dollars, right? So we've, we've moved seven digits into become more charity and... Cambodia is arguably the poorest place on the planet. Mm. But the last two years in a row, they were ranked the happiest people in the world. Two years wow. in a row. Isn't that interesting? Fascinating. We often correlate, you know, financial stability with happiness, but uh, that would that would claim otherwise if this very poor nation has been ranked happiest people on the planet two years in a row. So yeah, I I could talk an hour just about become more, but wow. I'll I'll hit on a real quick. So our strategy is we are adopting villages. But once again, as, as you as you brought up, we don't want to be the American saviors that necessarily come and do this. And effectively, that means that we need to adjust it so that it's not us doing it, but it's the community doing it. So we have moved the uh, commune chief, which is over seven villages, onto the become more payroll. He's now an employee of become more. And so any decisions that are made are done with the commune chief and the village chiefs. And they come together and they decide. And if we have resources to use, we don't just say, we pick you. We're going to do this thing for you. Rather, it goes through the normal formality that they're used to and that they're all behind, that they they sign off on, right? Uh, we build a house for someone. We're not doing that anymore. Um, but when we did that process, it wasn't us that picked the person the community picked the person and and then got behind it and they helped in the process right so we're really doing a couple things one side of the aisle is is we have a central hub right now we're only sponsoring or we call it adopt a village and the objective is in a decade everything that we're doing will be done by the local village and the americans they will never have to step foot again in that village and they will be better off than even when the Americans are there. So we're doing that through a couple ways. First, we've, we are installing clean water right on site at the primary school. So that's the central hub is their primary school. Mm. We partnered with them. They understand that this is the central hub. It's where everybody in the village goes. And in Cambodia, you probably know this, but their water is bad either way. If they get it on yes. the surface, you know, a very bad, you know, human feces in the water. And if they drill down and get it from a well, then they have toxins in the water. Mm. So either way, poisoning them one way or another. So we first we've installed clean water mm. so that they can have uh, that basic necessity as we would look at it. Mm. Second, they don't know it's an education and it's access to proper dentistry, mm. right? So they don't brush their teeth. They don't even know what a toothbrush or toothpaste is, right? Yeah. Uh, we just did a dental and over over 55% of their teeth are black, just in, in overall off of the photos that we took, Wow. right? And they just don't know about that. So what are we doing? Well, at the start of school, they start their day by brushing their teeth at school mm-hmm. and they store their toothbrushes at school and they store their toothpaste at school and the teacher is the one that facilitates this at the start and the end of each school day. Because they're not going to learn the practice at home, mm-hmm. so they're going to learn this at school, and then eventually they'll take it home. So our objective is to lean into the 8 to 18-year-olds so that we can change those next generations. That's so we're great. doing that first water, next dentistry, next is prenatal vitamins mm. for the pregnant women and the young children, and also with the, they, they still have quite a few education and access needs when it comes to feminine hygiene. So we're leaning mm-hmm. into that. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's more on the on uh, covering basic needs. On the other side of the, the aisle is education. What can we do so that we picture in our minds that there's a ladder and it goes up a wall. You want to get to the top. We're not giving them rung two through 10. We're giving them rung one 
and then some will choose to climb to the top and some won't, right? But we we view it as a gift that we have to be able to give them rung one and invite them and teach them how to climb thereafter. And some will do it and some won't, and we're excited to see uh, what the difference is between the two. But on the education side, we found that one of the biggest indicators of getting out of poverty in Cambodia is if you know how to speak English. So we partnered with the primary school. They get out at noon and at 1230 for a couple hours, we've hired uh, four English teachers and they teach over 200 kids English. And they're getting quite good. They're all wearing become more shirts. It's the cutest thing ever. And so one, we're teaching them English. Two, we're teaching them animal husbandry. And this spills outside of just the kids, but we are primarily focusing on the kids. This is with chickens and pigs and cows. I don't know if you've seen a Cambodian cow, but it looks bloated, maybe pregnant, but it's not. And it looks like it's anorexic. You see all its ribs and everything, right? It's because, yeah, they don't actually have a base understanding that there's a difference between uh, nutrition with straw versus corn. And so they feed them and and fills their belly, but they don't understand that they're not getting proper nutrition. So their cows are on average having a baby about every two years, when if they were healthy, they would likely have one every one year, right? So animal husbandry is the second thing we're doing on the education side. And the last thing that we're doing is uh, my brother Wade has invented a game. Uh, it's called the Become More Game. It's effectively kind of a cross between Monopoly and cash flow, uh, uh, cash flow by Robert Kiyosaki. I don't know if you've ever played that that two hundred dollar game or not, but yeah. So his his general philosophy is teach us in the first world country how to get out of poverty and uh, acquire wealth and get out of the rat race, so to speak, right? And you do that in in the United States by by acquiring assets that produce cash flow, right? And that's kind of the whole point of his game. Well, this game become more is in Khmer, the Cambodian language, teaching them the two different ways to play the game. And the first way is the traditional Cambodian way where you don't vaccinate your cows, you don't feed them uh, corn, you don't do an artificial insemination, and you hold the die and, and you also don't have to pay money to feed the cow, right? So that's a plus there. But there's three negatives and one plus. And so they take a six-sided die and they roll it. And if it lands on a one or a two, their cow dies. Because the actual statistics are a third of their cattle die a year. Or they can do it the become-more way. And so they have a different game. And so half of the class plays it way one, the, the traditional way. And half of it plays it the become-more way. And they have to pay... Like they literally have to pay money in the game for feed and for vaccinations and for artificial insemination. And so it's painful for them to put out that capital. But then they get a 20-sided die and they roll it. And if it lands on a one, their cow dies. And if it lands on anything else, their cow lives. So it shows them that realistically, those are the statistics. 33% of the cows died that do it the traditional way and 5% of the cows died that do it the, the right way or the, the way that pulls people out of poverty. And so they can play this game and after multiple rounds, they can see how one side of the class did on getting out of poverty and how the other side did. And the only thing that was adjusted was education, primarily knowing the English language and animal husbandry, properly taking care of these animals by vaccinating them feeding them substance like corn and get doing artificial insemination with, you know, some big bowls to produce better, better offspring. Incredible. Lloyd, what an exciting thing. And to have such complexities of issues that you're taking in kind of in a holistic manner. I love that you have local indigenous people actually working on it. I love that you actually have, you know, the community de determining what's, what the demands and needs are instead of coming in. Um, I think that's so, so wonderful. And I, I mean, your story, can you share a little bit? I mean, the title G cubed is a unique title. Can you share a little bit about it? And I like, don't know how much to ruin if anybody ever reads your book, but I will say you're like, you said my story is just like anyone else's. I mean, you have some really unique, really unique stories and things you've overcome. Um, and I, you know, I'm really to, to talk about some of them today because it's so apparent that you have such a resilient, grateful beautiful 
attitude towards life that feels like a surrendering, um, you know, kind of come what may. This is happening, as you say in your book, for you, not to you. And I'd love to hear a little bit about the title and the book and what made you want to write this book. I mean, such a gift to me. I think it, it, I felt impacted all day. Um, you know, when I first finished it, I remember just being like so positive and, and just so appreciative of the sunshine and the being in the sand on the beach and my hot water shower. But I'd love to hear what made you want to share the book and how you came up with the title. Oh, well, thank you so much. It's, uh, the, the truth is I went on my own journey and I thought that if uh, I grew up in a, a home that was, uh, uh, lower middle class and with very prudent parents, right? We, we didn't spend money, um, at least not very much, right? They, they were very fiscally responsible and uh, okay with, uh, with things in that direction. Well, my two brothers and I, I partnered with two of my brothers who are the hardest workers and smartest people I know, and we started businesses. And some of them worked out and some of them didn't work out, but the ones that did work out took them and we took the profits and we rolled them into starting a second company and the third company and so on. And these are everything from cattle ranches to auto dealerships to real estate companies to uh, auto lending businesses. And then it got us into software because we couldn't find any software that would meet our needs and we wanted to start a larger lending company. Well, it turns out that other lenders were having the same problem. So they'd come to us and say, hey, looks like you guys are doing pretty good. You know, we want to kind of do what you're doing. And we told them, well, we had to build software. And they said, we're not building software. Can we use yours? And at first we said no. But then eventually we, we decided, well, maybe we should monetize this because we spent so much money on the software. And fast forward a decade, and we now have over 1,200 lenders across the U.S. and Canada with uh, billions and billions of dollars being managed in the platform, processing over a billion dollars a month in payments, um, some well-known companies that, that use our software to run their lending businesses. And so it's been a real honor and a real growth process for us. And, but the reality is we were, we were taking home such a small amount of money for such a long time that I actually felt in my gut that if I had a bank account that was, you know, seven, eight, nine digits full, and I really never had to worry about money again, then I would have that, ah, oh, and I would just have that ease and, ah, oh, I don't have to do anything. And I'd just be, I'd be fulfilled. And I worked very hard to get there alongside my brothers and alongside my wife and many other people. And as fun as it was to get there and hold that big check, and it was fun, but it was fun like your favorite team wins the, the big game, right? You're like, booyah! But a week later, necessarily as excited as you were a week earlier right after your team won the big game you still are glad yeah you're still glad they won but you don't that that level of fulfillment or stimulation dissipates and decreases and one day i was driving home from work and uh i have a younger sister and i called her and and i asked her how you doing and she said oh, i'm doing good we talked for about five minutes can't remember about what but then I heard this beeping in the background and I was like, wait, Sissy, are you in the hospital? And she said, oh yeah. And I said, well, wait a minute. You, you start all by saying that you're doing good. And she said, well, I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good now. As soon as your fever gets over 105, your body relaxes. And so you know, that hurts really quite a bit between 103 to 105. But as soon as you get over 105, your body relaxes. Uh, she had since passed away from complications with cystic fibrosis. Um, and then later that day, I had a different call. And the second person's circumstance, I would say that it was this big, very small on the, on the impactful list. But yet to them, it was the biggest deal ever. And they were all worked up about it. And it was like the end of the world. And, and you know, talk them off a cliff, so to speak. And I got thinking afterwards, isn't that interesting? that we think that our circumstances dictate our fulfillment level. But my sister's circumstances are literally dire. You know, she has a, a husband, she has children, and one of them was under one years old and she's on her death. She didn't know if she had days left or weeks or maybe months, but she knew it was the end and inevitably it was, but she was fulfilled. 
fulfilled. She had purpose. And this other person had a lot of things going for them, but they were so worked up by this seemingly small thing that nobody would ever worry about on their deathbed. And so I started thinking, you know what? They're, look, I get it. I like having money, but it's not the key to fulfillment. So what is? Can we, can we lean solely on religion to be fulfilling? Can we lean solely on our family? Can we, you know, and if let's say, for example, you can lean fully on religion. Well, what about the people on the other side of the planet that have never heard about your religion and all they do is hunt for spiders all day and they're lucky if they find one and yet they still find themselves fulfilled. So I'm not solving for necessarily quote unquote truth. I'm solving for fulfillment. There had, I felt like there had to be a formula that everybody could use regardless of their background, their race, their religion or lack thereof, their sexual orientation, their political preferences, and all the things that we could use to divide us, there has to be a formula that could be used across the span of time to become fulfilled. And so I went on my own little journey to find it. And I read books and I listened to podcasts and I went to events and I watched YouTube videos and I did everything I could. And really for about a two year period, my free time was focused on trying to find out what the recipe was. In my mind's eye, it was simple. It was find someone like a baker that makes a delicious cake and sample the cake and say, I don't want to invent my own cake. Oh, I want your recipe. Give me the recipe for your cake, right? Now, there's difference between recipe and ingredients. Ingredients, it's pretty easy. And I felt like that's what the world was giving me at these seminars and with these classes and podcasts. I felt like it was like, oh, have you heard about sugar? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's amazing. Let me tell you all about sugar, right? What about flour? What about chocolate? What about salt? What about strawberries? All this stuff. And, and I was left saying, yeah, those are some amazing ingredients. Okay, what's the recipe? And I felt like the answer that I was often given was, well, what do you mean? You come up with your own recipe. You're a unique human. Come up with your own recipe. And how could there be a recipe for everyone when you're unique? Mm. And my thoughts were, but wait a minute. You've made a delicious cake. Just give me that recipe. <laughs> and it's not just the ingredients. It's how you mix them, right? If you give me all the ingredients for a making cake... And I just throw everything into a bowl and then what, it's just this mess, right? I need to know, you know, crack the egg and then whip it and then add the next thing and then do this and then put it in the oven for yeah. X amount of time at the X temperature and then let it cool and then mix two other things together and then smear it and boom, then I got it. So I, yeah. I went on my own journey to find out, is there truly a recipe that any human could use to become fulfilled? And I specifically avoid the word happy because I think Disney kind of took that word, right? And it means like a hundred <laughs> feet. Are you yeah. happy? Well, uh, if you say, yeah, it's like, okay, great. Which one of the happies are you, right? But when, mm -hmm. when I ask, are you personally fulfilled? It really narrows it in on what, what I personally was looking for. And so in mm. that journey, in all candor, I was thinking these thoughts and having these questions go through my mind, along with the teachings of Tony Robbins and dozens of others and scriptures and conversations with my spouse and brothers and everything. I was running on the treadmill one morning. It happened to be the morning of my sister's birthday after her passing. And I literally audibly said, what is the formula? And I have a, I have a, Weird time explaining this next part, but it was like a stacking and it just came to me and I literally saw a white t-shirt in my mind with a big capital G on it to the power of three. And I audibly said G cubed. And then it was like, boom, 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 right? And, and that's the formula and the book goes all in it. Um, I've been talking for quite a while, but it's real. <laughs> there's, there's two things I'll highlight with it. One, as if you saw a capital G with a, an elevated small three to the side, you would innately know that it's the multiplication of the Gs, not the summation of the Gs, right? But the trick is, I believe that our unconscious minds don't do that formula. They do the summation formula. 
So they say, let's imagine that we're in high school and you only have three classes and you get an A in the first class and a B in the second class and a C in the third class. Well, you would probably say, okay, I got an A, B, C. My GPA is a, a B average or a 3.0. And you'd be right. That's how it works, right? But this is not the summation. I think it works for you. I can look at you, Lindsay, and say, okay, you got a five on gratitude. You got a four on growth. And you got a three on giving. If I put all those together, you're probably a B level of overall fulfillment. And I think it works for you, but when I do it for myself, I'm left wanting. And I believe that that man is discouraging to the individual. And they say, the formula is not broken because I believe it works for Lindsay, but it didn't work for me. So something's broken in me. And it's sure hard to want to raise your gratitude, your growth, and your giving scores when you feel like the formula just doesn't work for you. And the reality is, is that it's not you that's broken. It's the formula that's broken. It's not the summation, it's the multiplication. Whatever you wanna call it, there's an invisible G, there's an invisible multiplier that's in the formula. Call it grace, call it God, call it mother nature, I don't care. Call it what you want. There's, a, there's some type of a multiplier in there that changes it all up, right? So imagine that same person that had a, an A, B, and C, or a five, a four, and a three. If you sum them together, you would say it's a B level of fulfillment. But what happens when you multiply them? right? You take a five and times it by a four, you got 20. And then you times it by three, you have 60. Well, the 60 isn't a B level of fulfillment. It's a D level fulfillment. And so imagine thinking that you're supposed to feel like a B and you feel like a D. Just throw in the towel, it's worth it. So the formula is not intended to have people feel like, oh, I'm no good. I'm doing horrible. But on the contrary, to give them a call of action at the highest level to say, hey, what if you just raised your score? Look at what an impact, what a multiplying impact it would have on your overall level of fulfillment if you lifted that three to a five. Well, what's five times five times four? That's a hundred. And the argument is if you have 100 fulfillment points, you are truly fulfilled. You don't need perfection. A hundred you're at the top of your game and you have true fulfillment. I love what you're describing. A friend of mine, it's really funny. I, I Have you ever read the book, um, Big Magic by um, Elizabeth Gilbert? Creative, creative um, ideas as being like living entities. Have you ever talked to, ever read that book? I, I've read the book, but I have not read it. Well, essentially she talks about ideas as authors or artists or creatives, they come and then it, it kind of like simultaneous invention, like the, it kind of comes on the planet. It's an idea whose time has come. Lots of people pick it up and tap in and who runs with it and executes and how they execute, have their own flavor. You know, it's so beautiful, but there's like almost as living out of the spirit of an idea or creative flow or, you know what I mean? That comes from probably the divine is her, is her and my, and my beliefs. Um, but I love that because a friend of mine, he has what's called the GPS and he talks about gratitude, power, and then success. And he always talks about what is success, that's fulfillment. But he used a similar framework and it has the net net value that you're describing. And what he does is he walks people through a process where his name is Freddie Bosch. He's just one of my best friends, but he talk, he walks people through a process at first, um, similar to how you did in your book, which, you know, you like you're going along in this process, learning these stories, and then you kind of have this reveal. He has people wish like a genie comes down and grants your wishes. And, you know, of course, like you talked about um, in the book, being able to buy this beautiful property in Hawaii where, where I live here, which, you know, is a dream to live in Hawaii for me and many people just to live in paradise in general. But like you said, if you could grant that wish right now, how would you feel? And he gets you into the emotions of that what it would evoke to have the thing you want. Like you talked about getting that big check, the nine figures that you that you made from selling your business and having success uh, as an entrepreneur, you're experiencing the emotions right now. You don't have to have the home in Hawaii to experience that level of gratitude. You can actually shift it like your sister, your hospital bed, just to have peace and less pain in that moment made her feel like she was having a great day. Like that's so it's all relative and but it's so profound and true because we can't control our circumstances. Right. So you talk a little bit about um, you. You talk about in your book, the cystic fibrosis that your sister has. And, and you also have suffered 
um, cystic fibrosis. Can you share a little bit? That is a, a genetic uh, uh, disease. Is that correct? Really special, special woman. She she viewed things from a very different paradigm than most, and it it has had an impact on me, and I hope that it's had an impact on others as well. Um, but yeah, yeah, frankly, my parents had three children with cystic fibrosis, and uh, Susie was the youngest one, and I was the sibling right above her. And it's uh, you know it's it's something that doesn't define me, but it's something that that requires some constant maintenance and. It is easier to get sick, and uh, there's some difficulties with, you know, I can't digest food, um, so I take uh, enzymes to help me with that. Um, the the mucus in those with cystic fibrosis is much thicker, and if you think about all the different places that are lubricated that way, and if it if it's thicker, all the different problems that can potentially cause, it, it can be an extensive list of problems. One a big one is the lungs. That's typically the way that most people uh, with cystic fibrosis pass is their lung capacity gets, you know, very, very low, 30%, 20%, and then it, they just can't, they can't do it anymore, right? But there's other things as well. Um, reproduction is, is difficult for males and females, but uh, males with cystic fibrosis, but we, we were able to do in vitro fertilization and got two sets of happy, healthy twins. So super excited about that. But really, it's it's ended up being a gift, right? Because there's that old country song that says that live like you were dying. And what if we all mm. did? You know, what if what if you were told mm. you got uh, you got six months? What what if you were told you have six months left to live unless you tell anybody, and then you immediately die? But mm. if not, you have six months left to live. You know, what would you do different in the next mm. six months? Mm. Would you treat your spouse different? Mm. Your children? Would you maybe put your phone down a little bit more and look into your loved one's eyes and listen to what they're saying instead of try to prepare what you're going to say next, right? <laughs> would you get so worried about that little mess? Or, or what would you focus on different if you were told that you have six months left? And uh, so in many ways, that's been a bit of a blessing for me in my life. When I was, uh, you know, 10, they told me that I'd probably make it to my late teens, and in my late teens, they told me that I'd like make it maybe five more years. And now they just don't know what to tell me, right? And uh, and <laughs> you proved them all wrong. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, it's, been a, it's been good because it's allowed me be, to be able to see it a little bit more like that. Not saying that I have six months left by any means, but to think about it from the perspective of does this really matter? Right? I talk about it in the book perspective of. Whatever your belief system is, and I believe in a God, and I believe that, that God loves us and wants us to progress and to become more. Hence the name for the, the public charity of become more. But if you have a hard time, if you even believe in God or not, but you have a hard time putting God in context, I love the visual of closing your eyes and picturing that you have the opportunity to sit down with your 80-year-old self. And he or she is happy and healthy and a big smile on his or her face. And they have that glow about them. And their body's in good condition. And their eyes are smiling. And you literally get to sit down with your 80-year-old self. And you get to talk with your 80-year-old self. And you get to receive counsel from your 80-year-old self. From someone that's not biased. And they're, gonna, they're not going to tell you what you want to hear. They're going to tell you what's best for you today so that you can become a person someday. And so I'll often do that visual and I'll sit visually with my 80 year old self and have a conversation. And I find out that more often than not, my 80 year old self knows what to do in a given scenario. Wow. Lord, that's incredible. I was just going to say, I, I'm so grateful that we're talking about this and I'm so glad your book wasn't focused on business. I think business is sunny and, and inspiring to explore and, our, our firm, Capita Financial Network, we help people like utilize money and resources to fuel businesses. Our own business, you know, employs all of our incredible staff and we grow um, in, in such a way that professionally and personally, but at the core of it, those are just modalities for what you're talking about, right? Business, family, creation, art, writing a book, whatever it be, surfing, right? Building a home. They're just modalities to become more, as you've said. So 
I think you're getting at the core of what it means to be human. And I, I just think it's so important. And we know this, my mentor who passed away to COVID during, um, actually it was a year ago in February, he was kind of a, he was a father figure to me, like my hero, his name was Joe Ritchie. He always spoke about um, things being dumb smart. He talked about common sense, not being common practice. And I think a lot of us know the things you're saying, they resonate at a core level, at a spiritual level, people saying, yeah, that's true. Yes, I know that my attitude determines, you know, how I experience the world, that what happens in my mind is is portrayed out in, in my reality. Like people know this, but yet, you know, and today we live in a kind of an epidemic of, you know, struggling with mental health and anxiety and depression and having had my own lived experience with that. It feels like it's happening to you. You know, how do you, how do you, when you share this positive perspective, how do you do it in a way that when someone's in the thick of it, like I'm thinking of a friend of mine who just lost a second child, right? Like child feels like the most impossible tragedy to bury a second child unexpectedly um, in, a, in a tragic accident. I just think about her every day and I think what I wouldn't give to alleviate the suffering she must be in, right? Like as a friend and a, an associate that knows her who, who just has a, a a spectator sport moment in this tragedy of her life. And I just think you tell someone when they're in it, when you're, you know, your, your, your nieces and nephews are burying their mother and your brother-in-law burying their, his beautiful wife and your parents are burying their baby girl. Like, how do you tell someone in the moment? Because it kind of feels like you have to get through that horrific suffering to have the paradigm. Does that make sense of what I'm sharing? I don't know if that, if I'm wrestling with that appropriately. It's, it's such a large temptation to go sprinkle some sugar on it. And the reality is, is that actually everybody knows it doesn't help, but hardly anybody knows what to do. So how do you actually help in those really difficult circumstances? Well, they're all different. And so I, I can't be prescriptive on, on exactly what to do. But from personal experience, under, and you hit on it earlier, to help people understand that everything, even the bad stuff, especially the bad stuff, is happening for you and not to you is a fundamental mind blower. And I'm not saying that there's happening for you so that you have a good experience that day. I'm saying, what if you could help somebody understand that some higher power trusts them enough to have them go through this garbage right now? It, that this higher power trusts them enough because they have a bigger calling in this earth and it requires some growth requires some pain. Maybe it requires understanding that others struggle and have difficulty, and maybe they're going to have to be there for their child or a neighbor or someone else, and maybe they have their own calling. And what if this God figure trusted them enough to have these difficult circumstances push against them so that they could become stronger and more capable and effectively become more? So that when they're on their death, they're the same person that they are today. As difficult as the circumstances are, we're not defined by our circumstances. But if we believe that the purpose of our day-to-day -day journey is to obtain the awe factor, oh, my kids are finally graduating. My pants finally full. I'm, I'm kicking it on the beach. Oh, no responsibilities. If we believe that's the objective, then when anything gets in its way, it's painful. But when we when we to believe that the objective of this life is to become a better version of ourselves, then we understand that everything is helping us do that. Yes, even the bad stuff. Yes, right? your your loved one. Yes, you said, especially the bad stuff. It really does. It's so true, and it's it's terrible. It's terrible to say that when someone's in it, but it, it is it is absolutely true. I think everybody I've ever asked the hardest things that ever happened to you, would you trade it when they're on the other side and they've and they've gained all the fruits of it and they and they can look back in retrospect and they have that that larger perspective i i they usually are like you can see them you know tracking in their mind and then sometimes they won't even it and they'll point at yeah but this person they this terrible thing that happened there was nothing good that came from that you know like it's so it's so it's such a concept to hold being human you know and understanding that so we often look through the glasses at what good came from that circumstance and the reality is, I don't know the percentage, but 10, 20% of the time, I can't find anything that good came from that circumstance, right? And so it, the model, quick, 
when that's what you're looking for. But when you're not looking for what good came from it, when you're looking at it from how does the supreme being trust me enough to allow me to grow through this so that I change, not so that I have easier life, so that I become a better person and I can and I can have more light flow through me. Well, now it's a different perspective. Right now we look at a trail and we see all these what could we could look at those big rocks on the trail and say, oh my goodness, look at all these rocks, all of these stumbling blocks. Everywhere I go, there's stumbling blocks. I mean, that's not cool. But if we so if we stumbling blocks to be smoothed out, we're gonna be sorely disappointed. And we might even have a strong argument that there is no supreme being because those rocks are not smoothed out. But yeah, that's not the objective. The objective is to learn how to visualize those what could be called stumbling blocks and the stepping stones. They're the same rocks. You just call them something different and you perceive them as a place to step instead of a place to get tripped up. Yeah, I love that. I love how you make the open aperture of whether you call it God or anything else. Because, you know, one of my best friends in the whole world is atheist. What I call God, she just calls love for others, you know, and, and she puts that at her highest value. And so she's, you know, I've seen her over and over take difficult, heartbreaking things and try to render into something beautiful and giving and has the same, the same mechanism at the end of the day, right? Just a different come from, but it's the same heart. And so I love that you, that you have that open aperture. I think that's so profound, Lloyd. And I do a lot of work with some major um, private foundations. And we help we help with um, kind of working with the men and women of peace in countries, um, which I'd love to hear about these, these individuals you found in country. But we work kind of the top of the ladder and the bottom where you do grassroots stuff, but also like heads of state. And my mentor, Joe, that I mentioned, helped advise several presidents, including the president after the genocide and lifted their GDP by 12%, which was like, you know, heroic and, and prolific and unprecedented effort. So, uh, you know, we, I'd love to know more how we can support you. Can you tell us a little bit more about Loan Pro and wh- what's your, what's up next? I mean, you, you brought in some venture capital to have some liqu- liquidity on your own. Are you looking to um, have an exit eventually and be totally done and full-time work on become org or, you know, .com or let's see your foundation. It, what's kind of your next steps? So right now I'm spending about a third of my time on Become More. And then I do some family office stuff and, and managing the, the portfolio uh, for me and my two brothers. And then the rest of my time is on Loan Pro. So Loan Pro is still a big focus. We're super excited about the cool stuff we have going on over at Loan Pro. Um, our objective is to, t- to change the way that financing is done. And there's some great things that we're doing in the new space of, of cards, right? Credit cards have been the same for the last 25 years. And we have some super cool technology that's patent pending that uh, we're excited to, to hit the open market. Um, but the overall objective with, with Loan Pro, look, we're, we're here in Farmington, Utah, just north of Salt Lake. We love the area. We love our family, our Loan Pro family. They're great humans. Um, they work hard. They play hard. And you know what? They're good humans off the court as much as they are on the court. And we really look for that, right? We'd rather have somebody that uh, it might take them an extra time to learn something, but in their private life, they're trying to be a good friend and a good parent and a good spouse and not just get hammered on the weekends, so to speak, right? And so for the most part, we've surrounded ourselves with some some amazing people here in the Farmington area. And we also have a, a large team down in Mexico a lot of our programming talent is down there. And these are senior developers that are seasoned and very capable because the software is a very complex offering. It's not, it's not a single widget. It's a very complex uh, piece of, of software. So yeah, we plan to be involved with this for the, for the, the next few years, but we didn't want to wait until after we got the big paycheck to do the passion project. And I'm so glad we didn't because our family, our Lone Pro family, they now are in love as well, right? With different levels based on how, you know, we just had a group come back from Cambodia. They literally landed back in Utah on Sunday. So two days ago, and they went out with their plus ones and they, they went and experienced those living in the dump and they went to our village and they got to teach English and they got to, they got to go through the whole experience. And, and it wasn't just a vacation. They were asked to think about how can we make this better? How can we change lives for the better, right? We don't want to just buy something because someone asked us to buy it. 
And instead, we want to help them learn so that they don't have to be reliant on uh, someone from another country to come and do it. Let's change their mindset. Let's change their financial understanding. And so we see that process happening. But uh, how much more fun is that, that we can do that with hundreds of people and, and thus their families instead of trying to do this all on our own? That's so stunning. I love that you're doing this with your brothers. What a cool thing. Because, you know, um, you, it can be complicated working with family and friends. I've always made the people I work with my best friends and they've become family. And, you know, I find that I get to spend all this time with these people that I adore. So it's a joy for me. But um, I think that's the way you honor your brothers is just the endearing thing. I think you guys are so lucky to have each other. I'm curious. So you purchased a place in Hawaii close to me, just new. Just a little bit south, you said, of Sharks Cove. So right there on, on the north shore of Oahu. And I live in Haula, which is just south of that. Um, how often do you get here? When do we get to go surf together? Let's go hit up, you know, <laughs> Pipeline, I guess. Yeah, so I'll be out there next uh, next Saturday. So not this Saturday, but next Saturday. Really? My wife and I are out there, and we'll be out there for four days. And then uh, our two sets of twins, they're going to fly out and join us. So that's kind Yay. of fun to get a couple of days by ourselves. And then my brother and his family will fly out and join us for spring break. Oh, so yeah. We get out there when we can, we'll be out there for a couple of weeks of summer, we'll be out there for Thanksgiving. We're usually out there about six to eight weeks a year. And Fabulous. then when we're not there, we just literally every single day is, uh, is booked with friends and family and employees and neighbors and even some people that we don't know very well, but felt inspired. <laughs> Oh, that's incredible. I, you know, that's one of my, I have a, a place at Turtle Bay and one of my favorite parts about it is to be able to share and just give people the gift of this island because it's so healing and so incredible. And, you know, I'd love to take you and your wife out and get to talk more about how we can support what you're doing with Become More and, um, and also just learn how we can support you in your vision for what's next for Lone Pro. I think it's so amazing to meet you in person. I mean, I feel like I my whole career, I worked with a lot of celebrities and, you know, it's fun sometimes to meet the people that you find that are masters of faith. Like you'd see someone in a film and then meet them in real life. And you're like, man, I really admire what you did or you really moved me. And I feel like that would be to you. I'm a little bit fangirl because your book meant so much to me. So thanks again for writing it and Lloyd for being who you are and what you are as a leader, a husband, father, brother, son, person in this world. We're so we're so thrilled to have people like you on our show and um, able to amplify the light and the good that you're doing. And so if there's anything we can do to support you, please let us know. But thank you again for coming on. Joy. Thank you. Do you need help with the next steps for your financial plan? Think Capita. Capita is a financial network built around you. They have a team of financial advisors, CPAs, estate attorneys, Medicare providers, and social security experts to help you accomplish your financial goals. Call to schedule a complimentary consultation at 801-566-5058 or visit their website at www.capitafinancialnetwork.com. You can also check out their financial education podcast, The Financial Call, available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and YouTube.